Good morning, everyone. Happy Pentecost Day. <clears throat> so today's the day of Pentecost, in case you didn't know. <clears throat> it is the final day of the kind of scheduled calendar of the year. So if you kind of follow with me on our icons, starting to my left and your right, we have Advent and then Christmas and then Epiphany. We see Jesus getting baptized. Uh, just a little additional note there. We're having a baptism coming up. Jesus got baptized. Therefore, you too should be baptized. If we come around, uh, we hit uh, Lent and Easter. And then uh, last but not least, uh, the day of Pentecost. So the day of Pentecost, unlike all the other parts of the uh, church calendar, is a single day. It's not a season. It's a day that kind of comes out of the Jewish tradition that uh, there was a celebration of an event that took place. It, uh, it's recorded in Exodus. Um, there's the, um, well, there is the Exodus. That's <laughs> uh, the name of the event itself. Uh, the book took its name after the event. And so there's this kind of final uh, plague that was on Egypt uh, that the Lamb, the blood of the lamb would be placed on the doorpost of the Jewish home, and when the angel of death would come, it would pass over. There you go. And so that's where we get the term Passover. Um, Passover is 50 days, and so um, if you're 50, this is your Pentecost year. Um, 50 days uh, after the Passover. Is, is, is the day of Pentecost. And so 50 days after the original Passover, the Jews, the Hebrews, found themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai, and it was on that day that God comes down and gives to them the covenant, right? I'll be your God, you'll be my people, and this is how we'll live. You'll have uh, no other gods before me. You'll not, not make any kind of graven image and kind of so on and so forth, right? So that was the... In a way, we might say that the first fruits of the Passover was Pentecost. And then if you fast forward to the time of Jesus, Jesus dies at Passover. And then uh, 50 days later, um, the Spirit comes down and this covenant is kind of renewed between God and people. Right? I'll be your God, you'll be my people. And this time, it's more expansive. It's not just the Hebrews, it's everyone. And it's not just for some small promised land, uh, which we're getting ready to go visit next year, but it's kind of all land. So this kind of blood and soil covenant has been expanded. It's been expanded from just Abraham and his descendants in this small place to kind of whosoever will in this large place. So that it still kind of deals with real people and real place, but it's actually people everywhere, and people, uh, real people everywhere, right? And so this is the day that we celebrate. It's Pentecost. Now, as many of you know, I'm a Pentecostal. That's how I self-identify. And um, I grew up in a Pentecostal home in the Appalachia Mountains. And so Appalachian Pentecostalism has its own particular flair, we'll say, right? Interestingly enough, though, we did not celebrate Pentecost Sunday, like, we celebrated Easter and Christmas, uh, but that was about it for the Christian holidays. Like, we celebrated Thanksgiving. I pretty, I'm pretty sure I thought that was a Christian holiday. And we celebrated Mother's Day and Father's Day, and I know that was a Christian holiday. <laughs> but uh, we, we didn't celebrate uh, Advent growing up. Uh, we didn't celebrate Epiphany. 
We certainly didn't celebrate Lent, although uh, we did sometimes were encouraged to fast, but it wasn't at a particular time of year. Uh, but Pentecost, interesting enough, the day of Pentecost, I remember being like an older teenager, I might have even been in my early 20s, when I heard that it was Pentecost Sunday, and I'm like, Pentecost Sunday? Well, what's that? And I was at a Presbyterian church, and they were celebrating Pentecost Sunday. And I'm, I'm like, should I stand up? Like, I can tell you about Pentecost. <laughs> so, so, on the one hand, uh, when I look back at my childhood, I'm, I'm sometimes tempted to kind of caricature uh, that experience, which makes it sound like I'm, I feel negative about it. But if I do that, I'm, I'm letting my humor get away with me, right? So it actually is something I believe deeply in, and it's something that I practice, and it's something that is a part of who I am. I wouldn't be me without those experiences in my life. And so on the one hand, if you hear me say things today that kind of sound negative about, about that tradition, don't take that with a grain of salt. That's definitely an insider saying, hey, we can do better about this or that. It's not intended to be kind of a blanket critique to kind of stay away from such things. So Pentecost, when it was discussed, and although we might not have celebrated Pentecost Sunday, let me tell you, we did talk about Pentecost. Like we talked about Pentecost every Sunday. In fact, that might have been my initial experience or my initial expression on that day that I realized the Presbyterians were celebrating Pentecost Sunday. I'm like, well, every Sunday is Pentecost Sunday at my church. So what's interesting about that is, you know, the, the day of Pentecost is recorded in Scripture in Acts chapter 2. Um, what's interesting about the book of Acts is, you know, we don't use that term very often, I think, just Acts. Um, we might say actions, but it's about the things that they did. It was about the doing. It was about the behaving. It was about the habits that changed when the Spirit came upon the early church. In fact, when the Spirit came upon people and it actually kind of gave birth to or formed the early church. Um, however, growing up again, when we talked about Pentecost, we often didn't talk about how people acted differently. We would talk about how people spoke differently. In fact, uh, I, I can remember asking, why do we call it the Acts of the Apostles and not the Speeches of the Apostles? Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, aren't you supposed to speak differently? You're supposed to have more boldness to witness, to tell people about Christ. And sometimes you're supposed to speak in, in funny ways, right, or in different ways. You could speak in tongues or you could prophesy. But it had a lot to do with speaking. You would speak differently when the Holy Spirit came upon you. But the book is not called the speeches of the apostles. The book is called the acts or the actions of the apostles. And they did act differently when the Spirit came upon them in all sorts of ways. Of course, it did affect the way they spoke. They spoke in new ways. They prophesied. Their prophecies were interpreted. But they also acted in new ways. They acted in ways that they cared for one another in ways that they hadn't before, that they shared things in common that they prayed for the sick, that they laid their hands on people and anointed them with oil, that they went out as missionaries to kind of witness and to kind of serve the world in the spirit of Christ. So <clears throat> perhaps it's too much to kind of parse our speaking from our doing and that it's, it's probably incorrect to say you could just do one or the other. 
But when the Holy Spirit does come upon you, you will, in word and deed, follow Christ in power. Right? That the Holy Spirit comes upon us to change us, to transform us, to give us a vocation of following Christ. Now, we're in the midst of this, um, or we're coming to the end, right, today, of this kind of Easter season that started at Easter. And we decided that on Easter Sunday, we would say Christ is risen. But then following Easter Sunday, we would play off of the, the traditional response to that, which is risen, he is risen indeed, to say that we are risen indeed. So we've been focusing in on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which has to do with Jesus' understanding of the kingdom of God. So if we're going to follow Jesus, Jesus' teachings requires us to behave in certain ways. And we've been focusing on those ways, the ways in which we might behave differently because Jesus has been resurrected and because the same spirit that resurrected Jesus is now upon us. That being Christian doesn't just mean we think differently than those who are not Christian. Or being Christian doesn't just mean we confess certain things with our mouths that those who aren't Christian might not confess. But being Christian means that we follow Christ. That we are disciples of Christ. That we intend for our lives to be mimicked or imitate, imitate His, right? That our lives would be mimicked on His. And so that's how this whole sermon comes to an end. The final part of the Sermon on the Mount, the final bit of Matthew chapter 7, says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, what words are we talking about there? We're talking about all these words that have been collected by Matthew about what does it mean to enter the kingdom, this whole Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house. Sound familiar? That's a joke because it's been raining like nonstop lately. But it did not fall. That is, the house did not fall. Because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell. And it was a great fall. One of the things that I love about how Jesus kind of summarizes this sermon, it's like, look, I've been talking to you for a while now, but it's time to, to kind of shut up and do what we're talking about, right? It's time to kind of live this out. It sounds a lot like his brother. Um, one of Jesus' brother is James. He's a leader in the early church. And if you turn to the book of James... Uh, Santiago for you Spanish speakers. Um, if you turn to that book, it, it reads a lot like Proverbs does in the Old Testament. It's very straightforward. It's wisdom on how to live. Um, if, if I were being a little uh, flippant, perhaps, I might call the book of James Christianity for Dummies. Not to say that people who read James as dummies, but you're familiar with the literature, right? It's kind of around, you get mechanics for dummies and windows for dummies. I don't know if you have Mac for dummies, do you? Uh, computer joke, sorry. <laughs> right. So James sounds a lot like this. Or, or, um, that is, uh, Jesus here is kind of picking up on that proverbial tradition, that same tradition that James would pick up on, 
And that is that we are to behave a certain way. Um, we've discussed this before, but perhaps it's, this is a good time to, to revisit this. The whole of the canon, all of scripture, has been envisioned by some as a six-act drama, right? So um, uh, like a play. So there's three acts, and then there's a little intermission, and then there's three more acts. So the first act comes fairly quickly. It's the creation, right? Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates. We sang about it earlier, right? About God kind of speaking the world into existence. Act 2, we sometimes refer to as the fall. It's the kind of the introduction to sin into the story, where humans kind of do what they're not supposed to do, and they don't do what they are supposed to do. Right? That's Genesis chapter 3. So we're through, we're through two acts of the play fairly quickly. We're just three chapters in. Act 1, creation. Act 2, the fall. Act 3 picks up in Genesis 4 and runs through the rest of the whole Testament. And we might just title it Israel. It's the story of how God is responding to human sin by working through the people in the nation of Israel. And there's a lot of forgiveness and there's a lot of grace and there's a lot of, hey, come do it this way, that's a part of that story. That story then kind of closes, and we'll say that ends the first part of the play, Act 1, 2, and 3. And we go into a bit of an intermission, so to speak. It's the time between Malachi and Matthew. It's that um, second temple Jewish period that doesn't get kind of recorded in the scriptures. But then, Act 4, this is kind of the big part of the story. Jesus comes on the scene. And we get uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all which reaccount this fourth act. This is the biggest part of history. This is, this is the linchpin. This is the turning point of all, not just the history of humanity, we would even say the history of the universe. That the universe, how, started ever how long ago, has come to this point. And this point is the coming of God in human flesh to be with people to love and to live and to, to transform. So that's Act 4. So Act 5 would be the early church, Act 5, Scene 1. So we'll say it starts with Acts, Acts chapter 1, and you see Jesus still there, and he kind of tells them, when my spirit comes upon you, uh, you will receive power, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? So Act uh, five is this early church, and it's the whole book of Acts, and it's all the epistles of the apostles. It's kind of Romans through Philemon with Paul, and it's Hebrews through Jude with, uh, with the others, with James and Peter and John and Jude. And then, of course, there's the book of Revelation. It's not until we get to the end of Revelation, like the last two chapters, 21 and 22, that you get to Acts 6, the, the, the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. Right, and eternity kind of gets set up from there. What's interesting about that story is that that story is our story. That we are a part of that drama. That that's not just something that we can read about people from the past, but when we read scriptures, we read scriptures as though they're not just written to ancient Hebrews or to early Christians. We read scriptures as though they're written to us. Like these are our holy scriptures. Right? So where do we fit in that story? We're kind of Act 5, Scene 2. Right? Remember, so Act 1 is creation. Act 2 is the fall. Act 3 is Israel. Act 4 is Jesus. Act 5 is the church. 
And it's split up into two scenes. There's the early church, which is recorded from Acts to Revelation. But then there's the rest of us, right? We're kind of Act 5, Scene 2. We're the ones who are loving God and serving God and worshiping God. And we're seeking to follow Jesus and mimic our lives after Jesus. Not just being hearers of the word, but doers also. That quotes Jesus' brother James. And really, James' statement to not just be hearers of the word, but doers also, is really just a paraphrase of what Jesus was saying here in Matthew 7. That is, that these things that I've said, you're supposed to do. And if you do them, you'll be like someone who built their house on a rock. And if you don't do them, you'll be like someone who built their house on the sand. And I want you to be like the former and not like the latter. So Christianity is not a spectator sport. Christianity is not something that you just watch other people do. Christianity is about participation. We participate with our own love. We participate with our own words. We participate with our own actions, right? The fact that we come together and we fellowship and we eat breakfast and we pray and we sing and we, uh, we worship and we fellowship and we serve. These are all regular actions, right, of the church. And we are a part of that church. And so that's what we're to do. And that's how we want to think about um, this series, Risen Indeed. That Christ has risen, that the Spirit raised him from the dead, and that same spirit on Pentecost comes down and rest upon, rests upon us and empowers us and transforms us to actually live indeed in the way that Christ would have us live. So just something about how all that works. Our, we are people of habit. And our habits form us in ways that are kind of deep and, and subtle but strong, right? So think about it. I mean, when you're driving a standard shift, right, a standard uh, transmission, you don't think about uh, when to shift. I mean, maybe when you're learning, you do. And it, you know, it gives you one of these, you know, you're kind of jerking along down the road and you're like, I didn't realize this car could hop, right? <laughs> and if you see a car doing that, you think, I got to stay away from that person because they're learning to drive. But once you've learned to do it, it doesn't, it doesn't come. You're not thinking about it. You do it without thinking. You've done it so much that the, that the habit, that the muscle memory and the mental muscle memory, so to speak, right, is just rooted in you. This is what I think it means to live a life, uh, to walk in the spirit and to live a life that follows Christ. It takes practice. It's not because you heard some sermon and you thought, oh, that's a good idea. Or that you read a book and you thought, oh, well, I should do that. That doesn't change you. What changes you is that every day you're living a certain way. What you do and who you are are intricately related to one another. Jesus is the Christ, not just because of who he is, but because of what he has done and what he is doing. Right? The work of Christ and the person of Christ are intimately related. And our works, our acts, and our words and our thoughts about ourselves are also intricately related. Right? If every single day you study and you read 
and you write and you do your assignments, we call you a student. If every single day you uh, practice and your instrument, right, and you play and you think about it and you write and you dream about it sometimes, we call you a musician, right? There is, uh, in kind of sociological studies, a theory that says that no one becomes an expert without a minimum of 10,000 hours. Like they've, they've done studies in lots of different fields and lots of different activities, and they found out that 10,000 hours is a bit of a magic number. That is, once you've done something for 10,000 hours, you've done it for a significant enough amount of time that it has moved from just your kind of short-term memory or even long-term memory down into your body, right? It's been embodied. It's become second nature to you. You can do it almost without thinking. It's become, like, it's become natural uh, because you've done it. So a couple of years ago, I read this really interesting book by Sam Wells called Improvisation, The Drama of Christian Ethics. And Wells takes up this idea of improv, not just the improving like, like that uh, Mikkel did there with the, with the song, but acting improv, where a story frame has been given to the actors, but then they have to kind of respond in the moment and the story gets developed, right? And so there's kind of receiving of what the other actors do and there's blocking. And the, the analogy works something like this. Scripture is not just a script that we're supposed to mimic in the sense that we, we just repeat those exact words. Scripture is a story that shapes us into the type of people who become those who can respond faithfully in our present time. So Scripture doesn't always speak to every particular incident you're going to find yourself in. Like if you get cut off on Florida... Florida Avenue, there's no passage of scripture that says this is how you should behave when cut off on Florida Avenue. <laughs> However, there is enough scripture that would shape us into the type of people that we know how to behave or how we should behave anyway when that happens to us. And so Wells' idea is this, is that this whole kind of theodrama that we have, this God drama that is uh, expressed, of course, in Scripture, but then also in Christian tradition, that if we practice it, that is, and I'm not talking about just try it for a few weeks. I'm talking about years on years and decades on decades, right? If we put in our 10,000 hours, so to speak, if we come to church, if we sing, if we worship, if we pray, if we practice grace and forgiveness, and kindness, and mercy, and patience, that that practice of it, right, it kind of shapes who we are. And it's not that we're just kind of randomly writing a new story, but we are faithfully responding to the story that we're already a part of so that we can behave the way we're supposed to behave in any given situation we find ourselves in. You see... Someone who just learned the saxophone might have been able to be taught that first bit that Mikkel played. I mean, they would, you know, as you, as you grow and develop, you can work on tone and sound, but the basic notes could have been taught to a beginner. But a beginner is not going to be able to do those runs. A beginner is not going to be able to kind of do the swell and the sound, right? 
is because all of that comes from the practice and sometimes the practice that might not even seem like it's related to playing, right? It's like the, the actual practice that happens in your mouth muscles that you can hold those things. The practice that happens when you do your scales, even though generally scales is not something you perform for other people, right? But if you know your scales and if you've done your practice and you've done your breathing, then you're not gonna have to take the breath in the middle of some important note, <clears throat> excuse me, when everybody else is kind of emotionally going, oh yeah, that's so good. And then, <gasps> you know, you don't want that, right? <clears throat> and that doesn't happen because there's been this kind of life that's committed. Don't simply be hearers of the word, but doers also. Or to put it in Jesus' words, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, right? Hears these words and acts on them. So there's lots of ways that that might take place. Uh, <clears throat> if you've not been baptized, baptism is a um, long proven Christian practice that people do to say publicly about their faith what they have said privately to the Lord, right? That this is who I am. Uh, coming to church, uh, fellowshipping with one another, testifying, in other words, not keeping your story to yourself, but telling someone else what God has done or is doing for you. Uh, prayer, uh, communion, um, acts of service, whether, whether it's us coming together to do something as a church uh, for someone or some group, or it's just something that we do. Even in our random acts of kindness, I think the spirit is active. And it's in those practices, uh, those regular practices that we do that I think can shape us into the type of people God is calling us to be. So this is our prayer, that we would behold what we are and that we would become what we receive, that we would become like Christ. I pray for all of us that we might have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, that we might have hands and mouths and hearts and feet to be the presence of Christ in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our jobs. I pray that you go in the peace of the Lord and that you live in the power of the Spirit this Pentecost. In the blessing of God the Father Almighty, in the name of Jesus, in the presence of the Spirit.